Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Doing good. And you don't have to keep it. You don't have to keep it down. He needs to be awake this entire time as we're driving back. That's when we want him to take a nap. Is when we're going back to Joplin. So, if you, you can you can definitely respond and be loud during this time. Um, but I do want to start by saying thank you for allowing me to be here this morning. And as Brian said, um, you all have been on my mind for the past few years. Just. Uh, encouraging me for what the work that you all are doing here. And so I'm glad that I have the honor and the privilege to preach the word of God to you all this morning. Um, and I love interaction. So if I say something that you like, an amen or a hallelujah is definitely invited, okay? I don't like to say if you don't like something to boo it. Like that's, <laughs> but if you feel the need, if you feel the spirit telling you to boo it, I mean, maybe. I don't know, okay? So... I want to start by saying this as well. Uh, I love this series that we are in, that we are finishing up today. Uh, the assigned title is How Can I Build God's Church? How can we build God's church? The assigned text, so if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, it'll be up here on the screen as well, is 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 28. So those two things were assigned to me. Now, the, the thing that they did not assign to me before I got here was how long I had to preach. So that's either a good thing or a bad thing for y'all. We're going to find out. We don't know how long we're going to be. <laughs> it's a joke. It's, that, that was a joke. It's okay. It's a joke. <laughs> I won't keep you here too long. <laughs> but I do think this question is very important. How can we build up God's church? And I believe the text gives us the answer. So I want to read the text in its entirety. So if you have it, please follow along. We'll have, have it up on the screen as well. And let's start 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Paul says this to finish off his letter. He says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, as indeed you are doing. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you. And have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good unto one another and to all. Rejoice Always pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the words of prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. And in verse 25, Paul finishes, Beloved, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I'm not going to have you all do that this morning. <laughs> I solemnly command you by the Lord that this letter be read to all of them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. How can I build God's church? The truth is that I believe the answer is in the word of God. I mean, that may sound kind of corny nowadays, but I believe the word of God has the answer. I believe if we just follow what Paul says here, like his instructions, 
that we will be able to build up God's church. It's that simple, right? All we have to do is read it and just do it. But we wish it was that simple. We wish it was that easy, right? But like most good things in our lives, just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's easy. Let me give two examples of this, okay? First example, everyone loves this one, okay? Getting in shape, all right? Pretty simple. Now, you're probably thinking, not for you, Matthew. That's okay, okay? You're, you're sure. <laughs> but it's pretty simple. All you have to do is three things, okay? Make sure that you're working out at least three times a week, all right? Make sure that you're doing 10,000 steps. So you have, like, your Fitbit or, like, your tracker. 10,000 steps a day, okay? Which, if you're working out three times a week, that kind of that really helps out, right? And then the third thing, all you have to do is make sure that you're eating healthy, right? Make sure you're not going to Whataburger every day. Make sure you're not going to Ted's for Mexican food all the time. If you do those three things, you will be in shape. It's pretty simple, but it's not easy. Let me give you another example. This one's even more fun. Staying out of debt. Staying out of debt. Now, I can't speak on this, okay, because I did undergrad, okay, undergrad, and I'm about to finish up grad school. So I have a ton of debt owed to the government. It's really funny. Whenever my wife and I were getting married, okay, whenever we had just gotten engaged, um, I just asked, hey, how much debt do you have from school? She's like, zero. I said, that's great. You're about to have a ton of debt once we get married, you know? <laughs> It's awesome. It's okay. We're one, right? It's okay. But staying out of debt's pretty simple. All you have to do is make sure that you spend less than what you already have, right? Make sure that you're spending less than what you already have. It's simple math. Honestly, you don't need like a Dave Ramsey to come tell you that, but he would tell you that if you invited him. He'd just give you all the different methods of making sure that you're spending less than what you already have. It's pretty simple, but just because it's simple does not mean that it's easy. And so I believe this question for today, I believe what Paul is telling us here, it's pretty simple, but it's not easy. Paul lists 19 imperatives, 19 commands in this one text alone, okay? And some of them are very different from each other. Some of them are very similar. And he says, if you just do these things, the church will be built up. But just because it's simple does not mean that it's easy. And I want to start by going into the dominant thought of this message, by saying this, it is impossible to build up God's church without the help of God. It is impossible to build up God's church, it's not our church, God's church. We're here to worship him, right? It's impossible to build up God's church without the help of God. Ever since I became a Christian, um, I would hear this uh, statement given at me from those who did not believe in God. They would say, Matthew, like, your faith is just a crutch. Have you ever heard this before? Your faith is just a crutch. 
You believe in God. It's just, it's just a crutch so that you can get through hard times in life. God doesn't exist, but you believe in God because it helps you get through hard times. And I want to say that statement of God is just a crutch that I actually kind of agree with that, but not in the sense that they mean it. See, I believe God is truly Lord of Lords, King of Kings, that he truly created everything, but not only created everything, but he came down to us in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, lived with us, walked with us, pointed us back to the Father, and then not only that, but that he died for us and resurrected from the grave. Amen? Amen. That's why I worship him, and that's why I hold on to Jesus as my crutch. Because I can't get through life. I can't hear stories like El Paso or Dayton or whatever the number 300 other mass shootings have taken place. It's hard to get through life, but it's amazing that we can hold on to Jesus as our crutch. And so this is the big idea that I want to carry throughout this entire message. Here is the dominant thought. How can we build up God's church? It's by holding on to Jesus as our crutch. The whole purpose of a crutch is to be able to stand up, right? If you've ever broken a leg or sprained it, your ankle or whatever it is, and if you had to use a crutch, you know the whole purpose of it is so that you can stand up and eventually walk around. And so I believe what Paul is telling us is how to build up the church is that we need to hold on to Jesus as our crutch. And we need to take two stances as we are standing up, holding on to Jesus as a crutch. The first stance is this, a family portrait. Now, some of you all are either thinking, oh, that's nice. Some of you are probably thinking, that is, sounds terrible, okay? And the reason why is this. Family portraits, after the pictures have been taken and like you get the end product, are pretty amazing. The leading up to it if you have kids or you've been out there for, it is terrible, okay? But let me give you uh, an example of this, okay? So let me throw, the, throw this picture up there. This, this is my family, okay? Um, so he's pretty beautiful. That's Asa on my right, your left. That's my wife, Allison. Both beautiful, both wonderful. Asa probably thinks he's the most beautiful of the three of us. He can think that that's okay. That's a pretty good picture. But the lead up to that was not great. Okay? Asa was tired. He was hungry. This was in November, so it was cold, okay? And we had already been out there for 30 minutes. Now, listen, when I'm outside for 30 minutes taking pictures, I'm done. Like, I don't want to keep going, but I'm a grown-up, so I act like one, and I'll just keep muscling through, right? Do it for, like, the people who want to do it, right? Asa's less than one year old in this picture, so he is not handling it well. So let me show you this other picture of what Asa actually looked like, okay? <laughs> That's what Asa actually felt like. That was like his mood. He was not, we literally put him on the ground and just wanted to see what would happen, and that's what happened, okay? <laughs> Family portraits are great after they've been taken. They're great after a professional has edited them. But leading up to it, it's not that great. And maybe you have experienced this as well, just with your family, though. Maybe you were at a family reunion, and slowly the conversation started turning to arguments. Maybe you were 
at the dinner table and you saw someone was not there. Families are great. Sometimes they're hard to be around. But I believe what Paul is telling us is that we need to take the stance of a family. Just because these imperatives, these 19 commands are simple, does not mean that it's easy. So I kind of want to reference some of these different commands, and then we're going to look at it through the lens of a family here in a moment. But let's just look at the different imperatives that Paul gives, okay? In verse 12 and 13, he says, recognize and submit to your leadership, meaning respect those who are in leadership, your pastors, your elders, submit to them. Also, recognize and submit those who are just servant leaders among you. But this is hard to do whenever we think we could do better than they can. It's hard to submit to leadership whenever we gossip about our leaders rather than praying for them because of all the burdens that they carry on their shoulders for us. Another imperative that Paul tells us to do, that if we want to build up the church, just do this. He says, admonish those who are disruptive. This is starting in verse 14. Admonish the idlers, the disruptive, those who are immature, meaning those who are walking in the ways of the world rather than walking in the ways of the Lord. He says, come along them and correct them. But this is hard to do because it takes a lot of time and patience, two things that we don't have a lot of today. Paul continues in verse 14, giving us another imperative, that if you do this, you will build up the church. He says, encourage those who are faint of heart. And as if you remember last week when Gabriella was preaching earlier on chapter 5 about how the church was wrestling with those who had passed away before the second coming, right? They did not know what was going to happen to their loved ones who died before Jesus could come back. And so Paul was encouraging them, consoling them. And so Paul tells us to do the same. Maybe it's because they're wavering in their faith. Maybe it's because they just experienced a mass shooting. Maybe it's because they just experienced racism, and they're just wrestling with life. They have a faint of heart. And so Paul says, come along them and encourage them. But this is hard because it takes a lot of time and patience. Another imperative that Paul gives in verse 14, he says, help the weak. Now, weak can mean three things here, okay? Weak could refer to those who are immature in their faith. That means that they, they gravitate more towards legalism rather than gravitating towards God's grace. This is what Romans talks about when it uses weak. So Paul could be referring to this. It also could mean weak in their physical capabilities. They're impaired in some sense. They could be deaf, blind, paralyzed in some sense. That also means weak. Another definition of weak could be those who are weak in their, in their social status, meaning that Society actually looks down upon them because of who they are, because of how they were born. They're marginalized. They're disenfranchised. Paul could also be referring to them as weak. But regardless of what he means as weak, he says, help them. The church is called to help those who are weak. But this is hard. 
It was hard during Paul's time because you didn't help the weak. This, this is why when we ever see in the Gospels, okay, when Jesus is walking and you, and you hear the blind beggar, Bartimaeus, on the road of Jericho, he's crying out and he says, Son of David, have mercy upon me. And then all of the disciples of Jesus tell Bartimaeus, be quiet, stop talking. Because you don't help the weak. You look over them. Whether because they're unclean, whether it's because you don't want to be associated with them. And let's be honest, this is very countercultural to our society today as well, helping the weak, especially when you are a society that's built on the mantra to bring yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's hard to help the weak. But Paul tells us that we need to do it to build up the church. But I truly believe Paul does not expect us to do this within our own power. I don't think he thinks that we can do this by ourselves. Because if he did, he wouldn't have ended the way that he ended, okay? If you look at starting with verse 17, and he just continues down all the way down, he is mentioning God moment after moment, moment after moment. He references the Trinity. He says, Father, the Son, the Spirit, do not quench the Spirit. Pray to God. He is faithful to you. He is the one that will carry it out. And so Paul is telling us that we need to hold on to Jesus as our crutch, and take a stance of a family. Family, where is that coming from? Paul likes to repeat himself a lot, okay? English majors would not like him. He would not be good on Twitter either. He just continues his sentences over and over. Like there's, It's just a run-on sentence. It's terrible, right? But he loves to repeat himself, okay? He says the word evil two times. He says good three times. He says pray twice. But the word that he uses the most in this passage is the Greek word for brothers and sisters. And whenever someone repeats themselves in scripture, it means pay attention to this. Brothers and sisters. This is the way that you should refer to each other. That's why he says greet one another with a holy kiss at the end. Again, you don't have to do that right now, okay? It's okay. But that's family language, so Paul tells us, when we take the stance of a family portrait while holding on to Jesus as our crutch, these things become possible and they end up building up the church. Respecting and submitting to leadership is like a child respecting and submitting to their mom, to their dad, to their teacher, to their guardian, whatever it is admonishing those who are idlers, who are disruptive, those who are walking more in the ways of the world rather than walking in the ways of the Lord is like a parent giving their child driver's lessons. Now, some of you are probably like, oh my gosh, that's the most scariest thing ever, right? Have you all ever done that before? I haven't done it with my son because he legally can't drive, right? But I have been in the car with a friend who was getting his license. So he was like, he had his permit and his mom was in the front, I was in the back. And I'm not gonna lie, I thought I was about to die. I mean... This dude was going back and forth in the lanes. He was going too fast sometimes, going too slow sometimes, wanting to mess with the radio, just taking his eyes completely off the road. We're on the highway. And I, I mean, I thought we were about to die, but every single time his mom would say, stop what you're doing, get back in your lane, go a little bit faster, put on the brakes, you know, stuff like that. Because, he's, because she was correcting him. And so, in the same way, whenever we come along those who are 
being disruptive or immature in their faith, it does not mean that we're trying to be rude or that we're better than. It just means that we are correcting so that they can walk in the ways of the Lord. Let me go over this last one. Encouraging the faint-hearted and helping the weak becomes like just helping those who need your help in your family, those who are ill, who are sick, who are impaired for some reason. And because they are part of your family, you just come alongside them and, and help them out because that's who you are to them. These commands become much easier. Building up the church becomes much easier when we see ourselves as a family portrait. When we hold on to Jesus as our crutch. So the first stance that we take is a family portrait. The second stance is one of victory. Victory. We hold on to Jesus as our crutch, and we take a stance of victory. Now, I don't know, maybe you, maybe you have experienced this. Have you ever put on glasses or contact lenses for the first time, and you literally saw a totally different perspective? Has that ever happened? Okay, so I, I've had glasses since I was like in fifth grade. I probably didn't wear them as much as I should have. And so um, I remember I was going to a physical uh, for basketball in high school. It was my freshman year. I went to get a physical. The doctor wanted to do a quick eye exam. And he said, well, you have the eyes of a 60-year-old man. Now, he was like 60, so I don't know if that was like a diss on me or him. I just didn't, I didn't know what he was really getting at, Okay. But it's totally life-changing. It's a totally different perspective, okay? So if you have an experience, I want you to watch this video of this kid named Jonas who puts on glasses for the very first time ever. Let's go ahead and show this video. All right, let's see. Here they are. All right, now close your eyes. You're gonna feel you're gonna no, fall. Close your eyes. Hold on, don't open up. All right, now. Close your eyes. What do you think? Mommy, you have so many wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> you finally realized that. It's a lot. And you have holes. <laughs> yeah, you never saw those before, huh? Yeah. Jonas had a totally different perspective once he put those glasses on, right? Now, although he saw the wrinkles and the pimples and the beard of his mom and dad, I believe what Paul is telling us in this text, that we need to look at things through a different lens. He says, whenever we hold on to Jesus as our crutch, we are able to stand in victory because we see things through Jesus' cross and his resurrection. This is the hope that we have, that Jesus, when he came down to earth, when he suffered for us, beaten, was mocked for us as the Son of God and took it willingly and went onto the cross and died for us, the world didn't know, but that he defeated sin and death. And he resurrected from the grave to give evidence to that, right? And so when we look at our circumstances through the lens of the cross, building up the church becomes much easier. We recognize that we can take a stance of victory. 
Paul says in the middle of this text, verses 16 through 18, he gives three quick commands, okay? He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Those three commands are probably harder than the ones that we just talked about. But I do want to say one thing about these commands. Rejoicing always does not mean that you have to be happy all the time, okay? It does not mean that you have to ascribe yourself to a prosperity gospel, that you name it and you claim it. It does not mean that whenever a bad thing happens that you just, well, it's okay. No, that is not what, rejoicing always is less of an emotion and more of an attitude. It's more of an outlook on life, seeing everything through the lens of the cross and the resurrection, Praying without ceasing, I'm going to say something about this, is literally impossible, okay? (laughs) It's psychologically and mentally impossible to pray every waking moment of your life, okay? You will fall asleep, you will start thinking about something else, and you will start to, you will just quit praying. But that's not what Paul's getting at here. When Paul says pray without ceasing, he's saying make a habit out of praying. Everything that you do, whether it's waking up in the morning, whether it's going to school or going to work, coming to church, dealing with your family, pray to God because you know he is your support. But to be honest, this is not easy. It's hard to rejoice always when you're battling depression. It's hard to be thankful in all circumstances when you recognize that our country and that our communities are so divided racially, economically, politically. It's hard to be thankful when you hear about mass shootings taking place within 24 hours of each other. It's hard to pray without ceasing when you know or you feel as if no one is praying for you. But I can say this with assurance, church. The good news is that we can do these things when we look at it through the perspective, through the lens of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. This is why the New Testament can come across so crazy to some, okay? It comes across crazy to me sometimes, okay? Let me give you an example. The Apostle James, at the beginning of his letter, you know what he says? Consider it pure joy, when you face trials of various kinds. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of various various kinds. That is completely countercultural. But the reason why he can say that is because he's looking at it through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. It seems completely crazy in Acts 4 when the apostles Peter and John just gotten mocked and beaten and told to stop doing miracles in the name of Jesus and that they start walking out. You know what they do? Instead of like moping around, being sad, they're like cheering and rejoicing because they're seeing it through the lens of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And so I believe Building up the church becomes much easier when we, when we see everything, every circumstance, every person that we come in contact with through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. When we hold on to Jesus as our crutch and we stand as a family and we stand 
victoriously, not because of anything that we have done, but because of the works of Jesus, right? It's not by my works, it's by his works. Not because I'm faithful, but it's because God is faithful to us. I want to tell a story as we conclude this. I experienced the most excruciating pain in my entire life whenever I was in high school. It was my sophomore year of high school, and I'm from southern Indiana, so if you know anything about southern Indiana, we play basketball, all right? So I was at the YMCA playing basketball. Guy shot it. I was like, brick! Ran up, jumped up. I was taller than everyone at the time, too. Grabbed the rebound, and while I was up in the air, my friend, who was actually on my team, came underneath me, and so I landed like on his foot awkwardly and just went straight down to the ground. In my mind, I was like, I sprained my ankle again, right? But it hurt so bad, y'all. I don't know if you've ever seen or if you've experienced whenever you, have, whenever you experience physical pain and you just try to run as fast as possible away from the pain. Have you ever seen kids do that before? It's a thing. You're trying to like, escape the pain, so you're just running. I couldn't do that because I just messed up my ankle, so I just start scooting myself up off the court, like with my arms, because it hurts so bad. The next day, I thought it was just a spring, but the next day, my ankle was swollen like three times, four times its size. I had bruises coming up from my ankle to like my knee. I was like, I've never experienced that before. It hurt so bad. My brother actually like jumped on it on accident, but it was whatever. I'm not mad about it. Um, <laughs> and so my mom was like, okay, we need to go to the doctor. I said, yeah, we need to go to the doctor. So she took him to the doctor, get the x-ray. The doctor comes in. He says... Good news, it's not broken. Praise the Lord. He said, bad news is that you did tear ligaments from your ankle to your knee. Y'all, I didn't know what ligaments was at the time. Like, I didn't know that was even a word at the time, okay? So he said, here's what you need to do. He said, uh, I'm going to give you some exercises that you can do that will build up those muscles in your legs so that it will prevent this from happening again, hopefully. But he said, I'm also going to give you like an air cast. He said, you don't need a cast, you don't need a boot, but an air cast will really help it. And he said, I'm going to give you some crutches and some pain medicine too to help you with this pain. But he said, you're going to need the crutches for a while to walk around on. And so we went home, and at the time, we were living in a duplex, but it was an apartment, and so and it was two floors. And my room just so happened to be on the top floor. So... You know, every single time I had to go downstairs to get food, I was using those crutches to get up and down it. But y'all, it got to the point where I just couldn't do it. And so my family was amazing. My brother, who had jumped on my foot, was really helping me out in that moment by <laughs> going down and getting me food whenever I needed, getting my medicine for me. It ended up helping me out a lot. And the entire time, though, I was doing those exercises that the doctor prescribed for me to do. But there's no way possible that I would have been able to go up and down those stairs, to even go to the bathroom, to go to school during this time without those crutches. And I believe this is a good metaphor for how we build up the church. What do we need to do to build up God's church? What do we need to do? I believe Paul gives us the imperatives 
the commands to follow. In the same way that I had to do those exercises to build up my leg muscles, we do need to follow the instructions that Scripture gives us. We do need to just listen and obey. But how do we build up God's church? How do we do it? In the same way that I had to rely on those crutches to get around, we need to rely on Jesus as our crutch, as our support. We must hold on to Jesus as our crutch. And when we do that, it allows us to take two stances. It allows us to take the stance of a family. And so respecting and submitting to leaders and servants in, in the church becomes much more easy. Encouraging the weak and the faint-hearted, correcting those who are immature in the faith becomes much more easy because we're taking the stance of a family while holding on to Jesus as our crutch. When we hold on to Jesus as our crutch, we're able to stand in victory because we see everything through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. And so rejoicing always is possible. Praying without ceasing, in a sense, is possible. Being thankful in all circumstances is possible because we recognize that we benefit from God's grace constantly. So how can we build up God's church? by holding onto Jesus as our crutch, while taking the stance with one another as brothers and sisters and seeing everything through the lens of victory, Jesus' cross and his resurrection. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is your church. It is not mine. It's not ours. And so we recognize that if we truly do want to build up your church, we must rely upon you. May we never seek to quench the spirit. May we always remember that it's not by our works, but it's by your works, Lord, that salvation is possible. We thank you for your love and your grace whenever we mess up, Lord. We thank you for your forgiveness, Whenever we don't express that love and grace to others. But may we hold on to you, Jesus, because you are truly Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Son of God, the one who defeated death. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray all these things in. Amen. Amen.